Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. Happy Easter, everyone. Our conversation today is all about reclaiming Easter. The question to start off with is, why does resurrection matter? Enjoy. Los Angeles in 2018, and we are celebrating Easter, which means something happened not just 2,000 years ago where some people experienced a risen Christ, but somehow something has continued to happen that you are choosing to sit here on a Sunday morning to celebrate the fact that a God-man raised from the dead. That's fascinating to me. All right, in 2018, in a city like Los Angeles, this is going on. We are celebrating resurrection. I hope that's why you're here today, right? Spoiler alert, Jesus rose from the dead. You should know that. Spoiler alert, Dumbledore dies, book six. Spoiler alert! That happened like 12 years ago, right? It's not like I said, spoiler alert, the Night King has one of Khaleesi's dragons. You know what I'm saying? I didn't say, yeah. Hope you're caught up. Hope you're caught up. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. Oh, I'm sorry that you're a year behind on culture. This thing is moving like rapidly through the universe. Seriously, the Dumbledore comment, you guys were pretty fired up about that, right? as if no one has been talking in culture for 12 years. Back to the point, resurrection. Follow along with me in Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. This is so classic men coming up here. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Thousands of years. This is why the future is female, because of crap like this, right? Here's the really great part. Like when you read like the most ancient commentaries about these stories, they talk about these three women. They don't like they start with the three women. They're like, these are the apostle to the apostles, right? Like the 11, like these dum-dums needed some time to figure this out. The ladies are like, 
put the facts together. Dude's not here, right? He's risen again. It all makes sense to me. The ladies just intuitively made sense of some things. The guys needed to have a few committee meetings to really get this thing together. <laughs> it's just in the Bible. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of, I love this, right? Now it's like, gotta go check it out for myself. The strips of linen are gone. He's a frit. But even that, like, and he went away wondering to himself, I don't know what happened to the body, right? <laughs> Maybe someone took him. It's just, we're Neanderthals. Okay. And now here's where Luke moves to, and this is where we're, the good stuff's going to happen for us today. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. As we've been in this Reclaim series in the Gospel of Luke, we've been talking about the journey on the road. That Luke uses this metaphor from beginning to end about being on the road because the road is all about a journey. It's not about a moment that happened and everything got better and your life was completely changed and you never had bad problems again. I was told those mythological stories much in my upbringing. This is a story of you get born, right? You grow up and you have this journey of life and in life you'll have betrayal. You'll have death. You'll have pain. The closest people to you might mess with your life. Like the Bible's not lying to you. It's saying this is a part of the human journey and we're going to be on the road of this journey together and Jesus is showing you the very best of what it means to be human. And so it's no wonder that when we get to the resurrection story, Luke has the least detail about the resurrection compared to the other gospels besides Mark. Mark is like, Mark gives you nothing. Mark's like, and then Jesus died, moving on, right? Uh, and then the other gospels like Matthew and John give a lot of detail about Jesus being at the tomb and talking to these people. But Luke's not as interested in that. Luke is interested in getting you back to the road. Luke is interested in getting you back into the journey back into the progress, back into the movement, back into the evolution of everything. So the early stories are like, yep, the women saw it, dudes, they're dumb, uh, but we're back on the road now. And this is where people encounter and experience and taste and see and feel and embody this life with Jesus, that he's with them in their movement. And this is really important, away from Jerusalem, that the story is going to get bigger. Maybe the story happened here. Maybe your story happened here. Maybe your death and your resurrection happened in one place. But as you grow, as you mature, you're going to move away from that thing. You're going to expand out. You're going to evolve. You're going to grow into something else. And that's where Luke is taking us in a whole new way. So for 10 years, I have been obsessed with one idea. What is the biggest story of God possible that we can tell? That I realized early on that the narrative that I was told about Jesus and gospel didn't really work well with like the rest of the narrative of my actual life and human experience. And then sometimes I wondered that when I questioned that, that people were like, we, we don't ask questions about those things, right? Or we don't doubt those things or just memorize the Iwanas versus Corey and you shall get the stars. Like, what more do you want? But it's like, but it doesn't add up. And so I've been obsessed with this idea, well, how do we tell the biggest story of God possible? Because I believe this, as a finite human being living in Los Angeles in 2018, I cannot outpace the God of the universe in storytelling. I cannot outpace the evolution of God. 
So what are we worried about? Why am I terrified that me, I'm going to offend God? That's nuts to me in a lot of different ways. This God, if God is offended by me, this God all of a sudden seems rather small. And I think that this story is so big. And so how we're going to talk about it today is I want to tell a little bit of the transactional story that I was told as a kid growing up. Some of you may have experienced this transactional story as well. Because I think it's when we understand the story behind the story and the thing behind the thing that Easter now comes alive in another way. That when we talk about the thing that holds up resurrection, the human journey, the universe journey, the Bible journey, our journey, it's all the same thing. Then I think resurrection becomes more powerful and it allows us to mature and to transform in some different ways. So we'll talk about the transactional side of things. And then we'll talk about the transformational side of things. And then I'm going to talk about Dave Chappelle because it's Easter and you know, you should talk about Dave Chappelle. And then we're going to talk about three Ps, and then I think it's going to be a pretty nice Easter in Los Angeles in 2018. So here goes. First, I want to say that whether it's a transactional view of the story behind the story or the thing behind the thing, or it's a transformational view of the story behind the story or the thing behind the thing, both of these narratives are found within Scripture. Both of these narratives represent different levels of consciousness and development within the human experience. So both of them represent stories that were told throughout the history of Judaism and Christianity. They are found within all kinds of different traditions. Because I say that because it's really important because sometimes when we talk about stuff at New Abbey, people are like, where did you get this from? Are you like making this up? It's like, no, 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 this stuff has been baked in the whole time. It's just there are certain traditions that haven't spent a lot of time there. They've been more focused on certain angles or certain perspectives or certain lenses of the gospel. But these other lenses and perspectives have been there the whole time that Christianity is this big wide tent. And if Christianity is doing anything in the world, it's trying to tell you this isn't just a story about a sect or a religion. This is a story about the whole human journey. And so if that's the case, this thing will hopefully be a lot bigger than any of us give it credit to. With that said, the transactional story goes something like this. Somewhere like 6,000 years ago, I guess, this God creates a world. And as this God creates a world, there are some people in a garden. And these people in a garden talk to a snake, and one day they eat a piece of fruit. I'm not mocking by this, by the way. I'm honestly telling the story. And then what happens is they eat the piece of fruit, and now for the rest of history, God says, you are all bad. Okay? And then the story goes on and says, because you are all intrinsically bad, because you cannot eat the fruit back in the garden, now all human beings will suffer for all time. This is the story so far, if you're tracking with me. And then eventually, there'll need to be some laws and there'll need to be some covenants that will first remind you how bad you were. And then we're going to do some stuff so that you know how you stand with God. Because just so you know, this God is quite mad at you. But don't worry, this God has a plan. And this plan is that God is going to send God's son, and this son must die a bloody death so that this God feels better. This is the story. And I say it this way because when I say it this way, I'm like, this is a very odd story. That the, the whole game is rigged from the beginning, that we are bad, that this God is angry, and that this God needs to kill God's self to make God feel better. And then we tell people, and you should be satisfied with this story because look how good God is now. God is holy. Don't you see how good God is for doing this for you because of how bad you are? 
And in that transactional story, the favorite term I've ever heard of about this transactional version is, this is like somebody trying to sell you a chocolate-covered turd. <laughs> right? Inside, this thing is really messy and nasty, and you don't want to eat it. But on the outside, we're covering it with chocolate, and we're putting it in a pretty bow, and we're going to give it to you on Easter, and this is the God story, and you should be grateful for it. At the end of the day, it's still a chocolate-covered turd, <laughs> right? This thing doesn't taste good. This doesn't actually make sense for the rest of the world. And here's the problem. If you start with the problem, you're going to have more problems. If you start with the problem, you're going to end with problems. So then in this story, over the last 150 years, in a place like the United States of America, we all of a sudden develop these theologies like rapture theology, where it gets even worse. We started with the problem. We started with how bad you are. And this God hates how bad this is. And so this God is going to get you out of here on an elevator one day. Because this God hates this place. That's the story that I grew up with as a kid. And then I began to explore the broader stream of Christianity. And I heard a very different narrative of who God is and what God has for this world. And it doesn't, it doesn't avoid sin. Sin is a very real thing. There's clearly hurt and pain and suffering and a disruption of shalom in this world. I don't need much evidence for that. There have been hurt people who have hurt me. And when I am hurt, I hurt other people. That's what sin does. I do it on an individual level and we do it on a corporate systemic level every freaking day. No one needs to convince me of a human problem of sin. It's when we frame it in the bad news narrative where we start with the problem that I think we miss out on the power of resurrection and we miss out on the power of how transformational this thing can be. And then there's some implications for us when we deal with this transactional view. Some of the impl implications are, it's we made a choice and we can't deal with it and now God has to deal with it, so we put all of the pain and suffering on Jesus. So Jesus deals with all of this at the cross and then we don't have to deal with the pain and suffering. And I say this in here a lot, but then the problem is I raised my hand and I signed the pledge card and it didn't make my family any better. I said the words, and I still was a sex addict. I said the words, and I still got molested as a kid. I said the words, and there were still wars. Instead of it being, no, the, the pain and suffering is baked in, but we need to stop telling a story in which God is trying to magically remove all of this stuff, and then resurrection happens, and you deal with death no more. Except I do. Except I do. And I need to honestly deal with that. And I need to not avoid my pain and suffering. That Jesus didn't go to a cross because of your sin and because of your suffering. Jesus went to a cross to be with you in your suffering. Those are two dramatically different stories and narratives. And they take you down two very different paths as a human being. So there's the transactional side of things. Now let's talk about the transformational side of things and some good. And I'm going to do that in four ways. I want to talk about the universe because the universe was the first Bible, my friends, right? If this thing has like been expand, expanding outwards for 13.8 billion years, that means there's been a lot of time for the universe to tell us some stuff before like the Bible ever came around. Then we're going to talk about the Bible and we're going to talk about Jesus and we're going to talk about us. And so the universe, it's baked in by the way, all right? It's like embedded in the fabric of the universe at every level, this transformative, good 
beautiful story of what God is doing. Science tells us at this point that the universe is 13.8 billion years, that somewhere back there at point zero, everything expanded into the universe, right, moving at the speed of light. 186,000 kilometers per second. And then matter expanded into the universe at 70,000 kilometers per hour. That even at this moment, our solar system, our sun, the planet that we're on, is hurtling through our galaxy at 70,000 kilometers an hour. You are on a planet right now hurtling at 70,000 kilometers an hour. That should blow your mind, right? You should be fired up to be living right now that this is happening and that light is expanding out and that we are one of a hundred billion galaxies. And with these a hundred billion galaxies, there's a hundred billion solar systems. And within these solar systems, there's limitless stars and planets. Oh my God, that thing got so much bigger, so much faster than in a garden, right? The garden's still important, but that is not where the biblical story starts and we'll get back there. So it's expanding outwards at 70,000 kilometers an hour. And then what happens is there's this evolving process that's taking place in the very universe. That as energy and matter blast outwards, what happens is we have these subatomic particles. And these subatomic particles eventually become atoms. And it takes three life cycles of supernovas to get to the kind of world that we have now. That we started with just three simple kinds of atoms. And these atoms needed to go through a billions of years process of dealing with energy and heat and turning into stars and exploding again three times over so that we would have enough kinds of atoms to have human life as we know it now. Again, this should blow your mind, people. Right? This is amazing. This is incredible what is happening here. So then these atoms always do one thing. The whole universe does one thing. It always transcends the hole that it came from. Meaning this, subatomic particles in and of themselves are a whole unit. They don't need anything else, but on their own, they work. All right? Then they transcend those subatomic particles and they include them to make atomic particles. Do you see how that works? So it transcends the thing that was before it. It goes through a death and resurrection cycle. It goes through the death of what the thing previously was on its own. It includes that and it expands into a bigger reality and a bigger evolutionary view of life. This happens for a long time. And then about 14.5 billion years ago, our universe was ready for cells. That matter had been hurtling through the universe and that atoms had been enlarging and now cells on a place like planet Earth were actually able to form where cells transcended what an atom was on its own and incorporates those things. So it includes those atoms. And now we have single-celled organisms in the world. And then the process keeps happening over time. That single-celled organisms transcend and include what was there before and they become complex organisms. And you keep moving on through time and eventually you have life as we know it flourishing and blossoming everywhere. And eventually as things keep transcending and including and getting more complex, eventually we have brains and consciousness. And somewhere in this process, this God allows the living universe that keeps unfolding, that keeps getting literally getting bigger, that keeps transcending and including, that keeps going through death and resurrection to become aware of itself. That's incredible. That is incredible. And then here we are in Los Angeles in 2018. And the universe all along has been telling us a story of death and resurrection. 
It has been transcending and including what was before it. It needed some things to go away and it needed to include those things to make a new story, to make a bigger story. That's the story of Jesus. Your suffering and pain didn't go away, that Jesus comes out of that tomb with the wounds still, that he transcended the narrative of death and crucifixion and pain and suffering and then moves through it to include those things because your best narrative, the greatest narrative for the world, the evolution of this human process is not your wounds magically disappearing but that they're included in the evolution and the expansion of what God is doing in this world. So that's just the universe. Now here's the Bible. The Bible starts in Genesis 1. It doesn't start with a problem. It starts with a good God. The trajectory of the universe is not your sin. The trajectory of the universe is your blessedness. Those are two different stories. But the Bible starts in Genesis 1 and it repeats this phrase, you are good. You are good. Do you see this expansive universe? This was not a scientific manifesto. This is an ancient culture trying to explain the fact that a good God created something amazing, right? And including you in into the beauty and the poetry and the progress and the expansion and the evolution of this story getting greater. It's trying to include you in on the fact that somehow as human beings, we are made in the image of God. And as this thing has been expanding for billions of years, we're somehow the lucky ones and fortunate ones who actually get to witness it. We have eyes to see beauty every day. We have ears to hear children's cry, to hear someone hear that they love you. We have hands and feelings, right, to hug somebody, to make love, right? This is beautiful that it's trying to tell us that we get to experience 13.8 billion years of death and resurrection and transcending and inclusing in an evolving world. Come on, now that's resurrection. You can clap for that, all right. And then the Bible expands outward from there. It doesn't deny the transactional side of things. It doesn't deny again that there's sin or there's pain or that there's suffering. It's just not where it starts. And then what's interesting is that the majority of the Bible doesn't talk about how mad God is at you. The majority of the Bible is this evolution of covenant where God is transcending and including. Let's show you how. God makes covenant with Abraham, with one person. And then eventually, God transcends that whole unit, Abraham, and includes it and says, now it's for an entire family. We have this tribe, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? And then the thing expands out of that, right? And it's not just a tribe. Eventually, this thing becomes an entire nation of people who now have eyes to see that God is moving in the universe and that they are a part of this blessed world and that they have relationship with this creator. Right? And then the thing expands outward and eventually God says, for you to best understand this story, it's not just staring at the stars or looking to nature itself. I too will come and embody myself as you because the best way for you to know how to be human is by a human. Somebody who will suffer like you and deal with betrayal like you, who deal with pain like you, who will know a mother's embrace like you who will know friendship like you, who will taste of a good meal, generally with some sinners, I might add, right? Generally, he'll have a nice glass of wine like you, and that's how you're gonna know what it's like to be human. And what's great about that evolving story is that even the Bible's like, that's not enough. We started with a temple, and this is where God is at in this small place, and this is where the story is told, and this is where people experience God. Eventually you say, okay, well, the son of God, the the man God, right, the God man, he comes now, and he's inhabiting the spirit of God. But even God's like, that's not enough. I'm going to tell you the secret of what's been there the whole time. Even Jesus says, I got to get out of here because my spirit's coming. 
And the thing that I want you to realize when Jesus asks, where is this kingdom of God? And everyone's looking externally. And Jesus says, this thing's been inside you the whole time. This spirit's been inside you the whole time. This spirit who is infolding and unfolding life into the universe has always been with human beings. But the problem is, is that we keep trying to tell this transaction where God's trying to make things right. And that's not a story. We often tell the story this way, that Jesus came to change God's mind about us. But that's not what happened. Jesus came to change our mind about God. Jesus came to show us that the ancients lived in such a way in which they were trying to please the gods because this God was angry all the time. But Jesus is not fulfilling a sacrificial system. Jesus is ending it. Because in a sacrificial system, you have to keep bringing the sacrifices or modern day, you have to keep saying the prayers, doing the quiet time for 30 minutes in the morning, making sure you get all of the Iwanas verses, attend church at least three times a month in the 1950s, four times a Sunday night and a Wednesday night. But we've evolved since there, right? <laughs> you have to do these things and then this God will be happy. But the Jesus story is stop with the religious games, my friends. You're already blessed. You're already good. I'm going to deal with the sin and suffering in the world. But that's not the story behind the story. I want to transform you so that you'll use your story to transform other people. So the universe is telling us the story of expansion and transcending and including the goodness of God. The Bible is showing us a story that is moving in a trajectory outwards, including more and more, eventually to a book like Colossians. And you know, What does Colossians say? It says what every good church is saying in the world, our job is to put more butts in seats on a Sunday. No. Colossians says, Jesus came to reconcile all things. All things. And the beautiful piece of all things is it means all things. All of creation. Nothing is left out. Right? The power of resurrection and the power of Christianity is when the tribalism stops. Right? When we stop subdividing up the world as human beings and as creation, because then we don't do a very good job of taking care of each other and taking care of this good gift of an unfolding universe that's expanding. But when we start to recognize that we are good inherently, right? That Jesus' baptism before he did a frickin' thing on planet Earth begins with the words, you are my son with whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. And if we find our life in Jesus, then Jesus says to us, you are my sons and daughters with whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. Richard Rohr has this beautiful quote that I love. You are a son or daughter of a good and loving God. The divine image is planted inherently and intrinsically within you. You cannot create it, you cannot manufacture it, and you cannot earn it. You cannot achieve it and you cannot attain it. You cannot cumulatively work up to it. And do you know why? Because you already have it. And that is the reason that the message was first called good news. That's good news. It's already within you. That's the thing behind the thing. That's the story that I want to tell my children when they grow up. You don't have to earn it. In an American culture where they're going to rate you by how your GPAs look and what your SATs look like and what kind of job you had and what kind of cars you drive and all these other things that your stock market of your life is always up and to the right, that's not the story of this good news. Because if my little boys and my little girl can believe from day one that they are good, then my hope is that if they can believe it about themselves, then they can believe it about you. And they can believe it about the whole world. That they're not trying to earn this with some transactional angry God. This God has loved them from day one and 13.8 billion years before they ever breathed their first breath. And that's beautiful. And that's what I believe about you all. And then when that happens, 
I think now we experience Easter and resurrection in a whole new way. It's not a plan about avoiding the pain. It's not a plan about getting out of here. It's not a magical plan where the God-man rose from the dead and, and all the magic happened 2,000 years ago and it has nothing to do with your life. This is about that Jesus was raised from the dead so that we would continue to be a resurrection people. That we would continue to taste of our goodness and our blessedness and our expanding stories. And the more that we can realize the truth about ourselves internally, then the more that externally we can shape the world around us. How much better are homes in, where pe in which people do not have to attain or strive or fight for how loved they are? When we have parents who know how beloved they are, how blessed they are, how good they are, how do they look into their sons and daughters' eyes when those babies cry? But if you're still fearful of God's love that you need to earn it and attain it and figure it out, how do you look into another human being's eyes? Always just with a little bit of distance. How does that change the world? How do marriages change when we're not competing with one another? but when we recognize our own goodness and our own belovedness and our own blessedness? How do systems change when police officers can look at young black men and say they too are made in the image of God? How do systems change when the most conservative from Alabama can look at our LGBTQ brethren and say, you too are made in the image of God? How do systems change when the liberals from California can look at Donald Trump and say, and you too are made in the image of God? What a different world that would look like. That would be a world of resurrection. That would be a world of life unfolding. That would be a world of goodness and beauty and joy. It's all there. The universe is declaring it. The Bible is declaring it. The very life of Jesus is declaring it. Our lives declare resurrection. But it's all about where we begin with the story. Either we're a part of it and we're participating in it, or we're somehow absent from it. And so I wanna end with three very quick things. We don't move into resurrection because it magically happens one day. We move into resurrection because somehow we're choosing to participate with it. When I look at the life of Jesus, I see Jesus participating with resurrection before resurrection ever happens. One of the things that Jesus does, Jesus prays, which I think is incredibly important. Jesus doesn't pray to avoid the pain, because I know we all got those prayers, right? God, just take it away from me. And Jesus is there, like, that's the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. Like, you sure someone else doesn't want to do this? Because I don't really want to do it right now. It's a great prayer. And then he, like, bleeds, cries blood or something, right? It's intense. Yeah. I said that, like, very casually, but, like, that must have been horrible. End scene. Prayer is incredibly important. There's, all, there's a couple kinds of prayer. Some of it is, like, you declaring to God all the things that are wrong with the world and good with the world. Some of it is prayers that's more apophatic, which means this, it's more of like meditative prayers. It's letting go of some things in yourself. It's letting go of all the things that you are holding onto your ego and your insecurities and let God filling it with something else. Letting God fill it with this reality that you are good and that you're beloved and that you're blessed. Maybe another thing that we practice because I see it in the life of Jesus is presence, is that we live in a world that judges us, us by human doings instead of human beings that we're judged by what we can accomplish and what we can do. But in the life of Jesus, it's no wonder that he always pauses to see the children. That he always pauses to say like, man, look at that lily. And even Solomon in all of his splendors is not dressed like that lily. Come on, right? That's Jesus. He's always stopping for the good stuff. Like when hurt people are around him, like thousands of people, he's like, somebody stopped me. Somebody touched me, right? He stops for the pain of the world. 
He stops to live into our humanity. He's present with it. That's something that we practice. And as we live into prayer, as we center ourselves, as we open ourselves up to the realities of God, as we try to practice a present life, I think then we begin to see resurrection and the cycle of death and life that's always happening within us at so many different levels, emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually. And then eventually what we do is that if we have a, a world that is centered internally, when this kingdom is taking shape here, when this resurrection life is truly living within us because we're present to it and because we're meditating or praying and the realities of what's happening here, then I think that we practice a different reality with the world. That we become the people who fight for justice, right? We become the ones who stand against injustice, whether that's happening in our own homes, at work, in our cities, or the world abroad. And I'm proud of this community. I love like scrolling through social media because I'm so lame when it comes to social media. But I love like seeing the lives of how many of you are just active in the world. You're telling your story about overcoming something. You're talking about how you're marching. You're talking about the things that you're getting involved with. You're sharing sometimes brutally, but beautifully your honest narratives of transformation and maturity. And we're not just talking about this Jesus thing, that we're trying to live this Jesus thing in a new way because the story behind the story is filled with transformation. It's filled with beauty. It's filled with resurrection. And it's the reality that we live resurrected lives because we're already good. We're gonna have this conversation to end with. Where are you currently encountering resurrection? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.